good evening real loud to those joining us on live stream. Everybody say hello, live stream. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't loud enough. You can do it louder one more time, okay? As loud as you can. That was even weaker. Uh, I don't know what to do with you folks. Well, it's good to be back for another night of revival. And uh, with Dr. Manley, we really appreciate him. And uh, I've had a great time with him so far. Do, do remember um, this Saturday we're doing some renovations in the sanctuary. And if you can be here at 8 and, and help, that would be great. Ryan would appreciate your help. Raise your, yell at him. Ryan, raise your hand and see him. He could, he'll find a project for you. And even a couple hours would be appreciated. Um, also remember to support the revival by giving. We, we've gotten real serious, and in the back, you see we've even brought out the offering plates. Uh, that, that's how serious I am. You can drop money in there. You can also put money in the boxes. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to we're going to worship, and then Dr. Manley's going to uh, lead us in a study of His Word again, and we're excited about that. Let's let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, help us as we move through this evening uh, to. Um, to focus on you, your goodness, your call to us. And Lord, may we be responsive uh, to that call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. of our praise. I didn't do that like I said I would, did I? It's okay. <laughs> there we go. 
Thank you for the worship. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Really excited about what I get to share with you tonight uh, from this passage. We're moving to the third paragraph uh, in the uh, Matthew chapter 5. And if you, again, like outlines, uh, we began with the Beatitudes uh, and labeled that as the formation of the kingdom because it's there that he presents to us <coughs> the... Uh, he presents, <clears throat> he presents to us the formation of the kingdom. And it's the basic premise that all the Sermon on the Mount sits on. And then he said, let's move into how this functions, the function of the kingdom, as he begins to describe it in the terms of being, not doing, but being, because it's a state in which you live. It's not something you accomplish or earn or merit, but it's that which you have received and have become. And he gives that to us in verse 13 down through verse 16, in salt and light. Then this section, which begins at verse 17, actually goes to the end of the chapter. It's a long section. It uh, goes to verse 48, and it's the fulfillment of the kingdom, but it has two parts. The first part is verse 17 down through verse 20, which is the uh, acknowledgement of the fulfillment, because it's here that he actually states what he's doing and the dilemma that he finds himself, Jesus finds himself in. And then he moves to verse 21 as if he's throwing up his hand saying, hey, I know you didn't get this, so I'm going to illustrate it for you. And he gives six illustrations of this fulfillment of where we've moved to in this new level. And we're calling that the application. So you got the acknowledgement and the application of this one section. So we're looking tonight at verse 17, if you would, uh, and we want to read uh, a couple of those verses. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. I can't tell you how important the premise is. You've got to stick with the premise. So every time we begin, we, we go over this premise again. And the premise is given to us in the, in the Beatitudes. And it starts right off in the first Beatitude, and then he, he, he ends up in the second Beatitude, pulls those two together, and then ever all the rest of the Beatitudes spill out of those basic first two Beatitudes. And the premise is, you're absolutely poor in spirit. You're absolutely helpless. There is a helplessness at the core of your life. Again, if I take a knife and slice you down the middle and go to the inner core of your being, what do I find there? This is the core of your being. What produces you? What makes all your attitudes? What makes your perspective? How you view things? What causes you to be the way you are? When I go there, what do I find? Absolutely nothing because you are helpless. You are poor in spirit, helpless. But don't be dismayed. You're not that way because you've sinned. You have sinned because you're that way. But sinning didn't make you that way. You were created that way. You're supposed to be that way. Woo! See, this is not a downer. This is a, wow, God created me to be helpless. Amen. Because you were built not to be independent, but to be dependent. So he created you in helplessness so he could literally come in the amazingness of his resource and personhood and literally invade your life and an invasion of, of his life in your life. There would be an intermixing. There would be a coming together. There would be not you and him, but us stuff. There would be a unity. There would be a fusion. There would be a welding. There would be a marriage. There would be, what do you call it? There would be a whole new creature that would come out of that union. 
This wouldn't be something you do because he instructed you because you can't pull this off. You're helpless. So how why would he do that? So he doesn't give you instructions to pull off. He gives you himself. And in giving you himself, he merges with you. And a whole new realm of living experience takes place because he has literally invaded your life. So language changes in the New Testament. Did you know that after the cross, we're never, ever, ever told to follow Jesus? Jesus. Going to run a lot of good songs. <laughs> See, in the Old Testament, I could follow Jesus. I could follow God. I came to Moses, said, hey, I want to follow God. He said, no problem. Are you ready? Got my backpack on. I'm ready to travel. He said, look out the window. It looks like God's going east. Because there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And when I went off to McDonald's to get coffee, I knew I wasn't following so following God was easy because I, there he was. But see, in the New Testament, he's not out there. There is no cloud by, by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. He's come to indwell me. So I'm going to follow somebody who's indwelling me. There is no following. It's an intimacy. It's a, it's a relational concept. It's the wonder of merging with him. It's, it's the premise. And what Jesus is doing in the premise actually is he is literally telling us about himself. Because you see, he's the first one, the prototype, to have this. So if you want to say to me, well, what's it like to be filled with the Spirit in this merger? Jesus. How will a guy act when he's filled with the Spirit? Jesus. What kind of attitude should I have if I'm filled with the Spirit? Jesus. Well, what kind of actions will spill out of my life? Jesus. So Jesus becomes the pattern, the prototype. What's a prototype? You make the first one to see if it works. Whoa, did it work. And Jesus is the first one. He is the first helpless man to be filled with the Spirit in the merger. The first kingdom person. Now, your reaction and the pastor brought this up at lunch today that we talked about this back when we were here before. The incarnation concept. See, you may want to react by, to that and say, well, wait a minute. Jesus is God. That's absolutely true. Jesus is God. I won't budge on that. You can't talk me out of that. Hey, I don't care a lot about baptism, style of baptism, two times forwards, five times backwards, hold you under five minutes. I don't care. <laughs> See, I'm not going to die over that. You may, but I'm not going to die over that. Hey, the color of carpet in the sanctuary, I'm not going to fight over. Tear it up and don't have any. I don't care. But this idea of Jesus being God, I will fight for that. I will shed blood over that. Hey, step outside, brother. Hey, I'm going to fight over that. Because that is absolutely significant and important. If Jesus is not God... Then the cross, come on. It's the death of another nice guy. And lots of nice guys died. But that didn't mean anything to me. The reason his death means something is this is God dying on a cross. When Jesus walked on the water, God is walking on the water, folks. When Jesus was, was at creation, this is God creating. Every time you run into Jesus, you're running slap dab into God because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Hey, Jesus, don't you dare go out of here and say, Manly said Jesus isn't God. Jesus is God. What did I say? Okay, got that settled. But here's the interesting thing. This Jesus who's God, second member of the Trinity, all the God qualities, has leaped off of his throne and emptied himself. Philippians chapter 2. Emptied himself of every advantage he had as God. Advantages like all-knowing. Advantages like all-power. Advantages like, whoa, Everywhere at one time. All the attributes, all the advantages. And you can, he gave all that up. You can give up what you have without giving up who you are. Hey, I shake your hand, I'm shaking you. Well, not really. Well, yeah, I'm shaking you. Your hand is you. No, your hand is not you. Your hand is yours. You have a hand, but you aren't a hand. You can cut off your hand and still be you. 
So he never gave up who he is. He's God. But he gave up every advantage he had as God and became a helpless man. Come on, you have to buy that biblically, don't you? Can you see the shepherds coming up to the manger going, coochie, coochie, coo? Do you think Jesus looked up at him and in perfect Greek said, what are you doing that for? Or do you think he had to learn the language? One of the deepest theological questions I ever asked was, hmm, did Jesus mess his pants as a baby? You don't think Jesus was born potty trained. And can you see his mother coming to him and saying, oh, Jesus, not again. And Jesus made a mistake. He's just popped out of his mother's womb. Where's all of this omniscience, all-knowing? Well, he doesn't have it. Well, how did he do all those miracles he did? Don't you think it's interesting? For 30 years, Jesus didn't do zip. Nothing. No miracles, no preaching, no parables, nothing. Then it's like somebody flipped a switch, and all of a sudden, the guy, we talked about it Sunday in the second service, all of a sudden, he's all over the place. What is this? He's filled with the Spirit. The Father, through the Spirit, filled the helpless man called Jesus. Now, Jesus has gathered with his disciples and said, Guys, I want to tell you what we're into. I'm the only one that's got this now, but whoa! Well, hang on. You're going to get it too. Everything that's going on in me is going to begin to go on in you. The resource I have, you're going to have. The relationship I've got with the Father, you're going to have. As the Father has loved me, oh, I'm going to love you. As the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. I'm the first one, guys. So what he's describing in the Sermon on the Mount, in the premise, is exactly who he is. A helpless individual filled with the resource of God. In a merger, intimacy, oneness. Wow, isn't that something? Now, how does that function in our world? He goes to that salt and light. So it isn't something you do, it's just something you are. You can't help yourself. Why? Because it's a merger. It's a relational thing. There are things to do. In fact, he ends in verse 16 with that section saying, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So obviously there's good works. Well, sure, because the Father merging with you is not going to be idle, not going to sit in a corner, not going to do nothing. He's going to take your flesh and you and him together are going to move your world. And obviously there's going to be good works, so he talks about that. Then he looks at his crowd, and it looks like they've got, well, they look about like you. Look, they, they look a little confused. You know, they look like, whoa, really? And what is the confusion? Well, the confusion seems to revolve around, do not, this is verse 17, do not think I came to destroy. Now, the Greek word for destroy is literally luo, and it's the idea of unpacking. It's the idea of you got a pack mule, you've loaded him down, you've traveled all day, you come that night, you unpack his burden. So what he's saying is, do not think I came to unpack the burden of the law and the prophets from you. Now, what's the law and the prophets? The scriptures. So don't think I came to undermine the scriptures. Don't think I came to dump the scriptures. Don't think I came to draw a line through the scriptures. Guys, don't you dare think that. I did not come to relieve you from the responsibility of the scriptures. Now, why would he think that? Why would the crowd look like they thought that? Why would Jesus pick up that vibration? Well, you understand that you got the scriptures. They had the scriptures. The Pharisees, the scribes, studied the scriptures. And when they studied the scriptures, you realize that the scriptures, Old Testament, for them was ancient. 
I mean, it went clear back to Moses. That's a lot of years, folks. You think it's old for us. Wow, it was old for them. And there were all kinds of new things that had come up in their culture that weren't covered in the scriptures. That the scriptures was ignorant of because it was written in ancient days. Therefore, what they had to do was, and it's the process of taking the scriptures, discovering the principles of the scriptures, and applying it to your daily life. So they came up with 613 oral traditions. They are oral because we're not going to write them down. They aren't so important, you're going to memorize them. And it wasn't exactly said in the scriptures, but it was the scriptural, it was based on the scriptures, and in the scriptures, the principles of the scriptures was applied to the practical experience of life. Now you have to do that. You do that. I'm not knocking that. The scriptures doesn't say anything about iPhones. Well, then I can do anything I want to with my iPhone. No, you can't. Well, what's the rule concerning my iPhone? Well, you're going to have to discover the principles of the scripture and apply it to the iPhone. Duh. So they did that. So they had thir uh, 613 categories. One of them, for instance, was Sabbath day. Oh, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day. And the scriptures is strong on that. About the Sabbath day. What does the scripture say about the Sabbath day? Basically, the only thing the scripture says about the Sabbath day is do not work. But that's open for interpretation because what is work? So we got it as fine work. So they described work in a variety of ways. For instance, one of their 613 in that category of Sabbath day, one of their rules was you could not tie a knot on the Sabbath day if it took two hands. If it took one hand, you could do, that was okay. That wasn't work. But two hands, that's work. Now, there's exceptions to that. For instance, it's okay to take two hands and tie your sandals because you've got to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So that's okay. And it's okay to tie your wife's girdle because she needs that for the Sabbath day. You know, appearances and so forth. So there's two exceptions. Now they begin to play with that. You know how it is. They begin to play with that. Uh, oh, I wake up on the Sabbath day morning and say, oh, forevermore. I forgot to get water for my kids. I forgot to get water out of the well. And if I do it today, I'll have to take a rope, take two hands, tie it to a bucket, dip, oh, that'll be work, so I can't do that. So I'll be breaking the Sabbath day, but we can't go without water. What am I going to do? Oh, suddenly it dawns on me. I run into the bedroom. I get my wife's girdle, because you can tie a girdle on the Sabbath day. And I tie one into the bucket and one into the rope. Yay, I got water. Now, you can make all kinds of fun of them for that kind of stuff. But, folks, you're slapping yourself in the face. I don't know far, how far we want to go with this, but when I was raised, when I was a kid, you, we, my dad, would not, would not, would not take a Sunday paper. No! A Sunday paper? No! Make a paper boy? No! Work on, no! We took a Monday paper that was printed on Sunday. <laughs> when I was going through the ordination process, this thing, this ring idea, this wedding ring thing, was a big deal. Now everybody's got one. It's never mentioned. What happened? God changed his mind. Or were we wrong? Oh, you look mad. I've been waiting for somebody to stand up in General Assembly and apologize, saying, folks, we were wrong. But, of course, we probably won't do that. 
So see, they did the same thing. Now you realize Jesus came along. Get this picture. Jesus came along. And by this time, folks, his popularity, his fame, oh, there's no way to describe it. In fact, look at chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, just before this chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount. In verse 24, it says, Then his fame went throughout all Syria. Now, Syria was a foreign country, a borderline country to Palestine. So this was not only Palestine and Galilee and all the region of Judea that was all just, just overwhelmed with his miracles and all that was going on, but the people in the foreign countries were bringing people in. And his fame was just, and it highlights this overwhelming fame of Jesus. And you know what this famous Jesus was doing in his ministry? He was making fun of all the oral traditions of the Pharisees. For instance, his disciples ate food on the Sabbath day. They picked grain and ate on the Sabbath day. Broke the Sabbath day law four times. We can stone him for each time to death. He heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. What? Could have waited till Monday. And Jesus just laughed at the Pharisees. They were so, this is way, the reason they killed him, folks, because they were so hot about this thing. He's just going around undermining all of our rules, undermining all of our oral traditions, just tearing down, tearing down, and they're all based on the scriptures. So here's a whole crowd that's looking at Jesus saying, whoa, you're starting a whole new deal, aren't you? You're dumping the scriptures and all the Old Testament and everything that's been sacred in Judaism, and you're marching off in a new, with a new parade. You're, 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 you're starting from a whole new base. And Jesus is, whoa, guys, no, no, no. I did not come to unpack, unload the scriptures off your back. I don't want you to think that for one single moment. What I want to do is, I want to take you over the top of all the stuff you've made up, over the top of all your little applications, all the over the top of the things that have become more important in your life, more traditional in your life than the Scriptures. And I want to take you back to what God said in the Scriptures. I want to take you back to the Scriptures. And I did not come. He says it twice. Did you note that? Do not think I came to destroy the Scriptures. I did not come to destroy See, this is really important to him. Well, if you didn't come to destroy, unpack the scriptures from us, what did you come to do? Oh, I came to fulfill. What's that? Well, fulfill. How do you describe that? Hey, I'm a four-year-old. I'm playing with A, B, C blocks. Learning my ABCs. My mom teaches me the A, B, C song. And I learned to sing it. The alphabet song. I still learned to sing it. In fact, when somebody comes, my mom stands me up and says, sing the song for the people. So I sing, oh, hey, and I bow because they all applaud. She's so pleased. The ABCs. I learned them. But folks, <laughs> ABCs are worthless to me now. I don't care about ACB, ABC blocks. I can't even sing the ABC song anymore. In fact, I, I'm hard-pressed. I have to think to come up with the alphabet because it's, not, it's nothing. I just set it aside. Well, that's not true. Well, it is true that I don't know much about the alphabet, and I do have to think to quote the alphabet, but man, I sit down to a computer and I go, and that all shows up on a... I read. You know what's happened? The alphabet has been fulfilled in my life, and it's gone to a whole new level. 
In fact, it's gone to the level it was intended to go because it wasn't to be on blocks and it wasn't to be a cute song you got for applause. It was to become the basis of communication by which you wrote, read, and talked. Oh. Jesus says, I came to fulfill. Meaning what? Guys, you've been to A and to ABCs. You've been playing with blocks. You've been singing the ABC song. It isn't bad. You had to do that. It wasn't evil. You had to do that. The scriptures was not awful. No, no. The scriptures was good. All the law and the prophets that had been given in the old. Hey, it's important. It's in, it, but hey, this is something brand new. Hey, this thing, all that was here, has literally been shifted into a fulfillment. And guys, I am the epitome of the fulfillment. What's going on in me? is all that the scriptures was pointing to. And I have come literally to fulfill the scriptures and it's going to happen in your life as well. And you're going to become the fulfillment of all that's been going on in the Old Testament. So quit being four-year-olds! But what's going on in me being you, he says. Wow. How do I describe this to you? God came in the Old Testament and said, I'm a holy God. And we all looked at him and said, well, we're happy for you. We're glad. But I have no idea what that means. Do you know what that means? I don't know what that means. I'm a holy God. Well, good, but God said, I'll tell you what it means. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write it in a book. And if I were a man, here's how I'd act. Because I'm a holy God. And he wrote the holiness of his personhood in a book. So we have the written speaking of God displaying who he is in written form. We looked at this written form and said, what? I can't do that. Have you read Leviticus? I mean, all these rules, mercy, what you can do, what you can't do. Oh, woo, woo, woo. It is so complicated, I can't even read them all, let alone do them all. God, yes, I'm a holy God. This is it. Oh, I'll never pull this off. So you know what he did? He leaped off his throne, became a helpless man, and became filled with the word. He became the word. So what you've got is the written word and the living word. And being filled with the Spirit in the merger with the Father, Jesus literally took the whole Old Testament and acted it out. Whoa! So this is what you're talking about. Yes. This is what you wrote in this. This, this is it. Now get this process. But Jesus wasn't just filled with the Spirit and went off to act out, out like he wanted to. No, no, no. Do you understand? Jesus came and was filled with the Spirit, became the living Word, and then he stepped into the written Word and said, written Word, shape me. So inside he's filled with the living Word. Outside he's shaped by the written Word. And the living word and the written word, the inside word and the outside word, literally begin to communicate and set up a vibration, a living organism in the life of Jesus that literally determined everything he did.
Do you know how many times in the scriptures it says that Jesus set his disciples down and looked them in the eye and literally based his entire life experience upon the scriptures? Do you know how many times it says he did this that it might be fulfilled which was spoken? Do you understand in the temptation of the wilderness temptation after he was filled with the spirit he has, hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. His whole body is screaming out protein, protein. I mean 40, he is starved to death folks. 40 days and 40 nights. Beats anything you've ever been through. It, his whole body was literally screaming out. He couldn't be objective. He couldn't, and the devil came along and said hey turn this stone into bread. Eat. What could be wrong with that? Why would that be bad? What's wrong with miracles? Nothing. What would be wrong with eating bread? Nothing. What's wrong with, 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 with feeding yourself? Nothing. What's the problem here? I don't know. How am I going to know? What the trick is in all of this? You know what Jesus did? He turned to the devil and said, Hang tight, Mr. Devil. Don't go away. I'll be right back. And he ran back into the arms of the Father, the living word, and said, Oh, Father, communicate to me. Communicate to me the truth of what's going on in this moment and when he came back he quoted the scriptures how did the father speak to him the scriptures what did the father say to him the scriptures how did the father guide him the scriptures that's the whole pattern of this Jesus who's filled with the living word and steps into the written word and the written word becomes alive because the living word within him begins to speak to him and in that combination his life is shaped. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is this is not literature. This is not, well, yeah, I'm not a student. I'm not a student. I don't get it. Uh, the guys in Wilson County Jail where I uh, do a lot of ministry, uh, they'll come up to me and say, do you have a Bible I can understand? <laughs> I say, no, I don't. <laughs> no. I, frankly, I don't. Why? Because this, this is not understandable unless you're filled with the author. And if the author's living inside of you, this thing comes alive. His somehow, he projects his image. He projects, projects who he is. Are you getting this? He projects who he is into this thing. And when you read this, folks, filled with him, it's like his lips are parting and he's speaking to you. Ah, preacher, all I want is the living word living within me. I just want to be filled with the Spirit. Woo, I feel him now. It's up and down my spine. Wow, I love this. Okay. We're not against that. But folks, if that's all you got, whoo, you're going to get off. You're going to see visions. You're going to come to me and say, I've got a word of the Lord for you. And I'm going to say, whoa, really? Yeah, I ate too much pizza and God said this. Wow. How do I know? How am I going to know what God told you was for me? How am I going to know that? And you can have all the visions you want to have and you can have all the dreams you want to have but I'm telling you, you better come back to this thing. Or you'll get off. Well, preacher, I just believe, I don't believe in that mystical stuff. I don't believe in the presence of God living in your life and all that junk. I don't want to tickle somebody that's mine, all that vision stuff. I just, want, I just want this book, this book, this book. I'm just going to study this book. Folks, you'll get off. You'll become a legalistic snob. You'll go back to the Old Testament. Hey, no tattoos, says so right there. Come on. What are you talking about? See, I need 
the living word in me. And I need the written word out of me. And I need this living word to begin to communicate with the written word until this thing becomes more than literature. It becomes the voice of God in my life. And this becomes the instruction for my living. And I begin to understand the heart of God because he's explaining himself through his speaking to me. So see, you can't come to me and say, well, I'm, hey, I... I never did well in school. I, I'm not a scholar. Hey, I can read comic books. That's about it. So, hey, I'm not, this, this, I can't. Folks, this is not academic study. These are, this is a love letter. This is pillow talk at night. This is the heart of the lover of your soul. Parting his lips and whispering in your ear. This is way beyond Greek and Hebrew. This is the, wow. I did not come to take this away from you. I came to make this what it's supposed to be in your life. I spent all day with a guy in the past. I spent it all day with a guy who was really into football. We had dinner at his house and whatever. And uh, we, we talked all day, but we talked all day about football because that's what he's into. And man is, well, I mean, truly master at it. He knew all the stats, all the past history, players. He could predict what games and who was going to. It, it was phenomenal. I was impressed. And when we got done, of course, we, had the, we came to the service that night. After the service, he came up to me, and he looked me right in the eye and said, You know, I'd like to know the Bible. I said, Really? And I kind of grinned and said, Like you know football? <laughs> he said, That'd be great. If I could know the Bible like I know football, that'd be great. I said, Okay. He said, What do you think I ought to do? You got any advice? Do you think I ought to go to Bible college? I said, well, how'd you learn football? Did you go to football college? Well, no. Well, how'd you learn football? Well, I just like it, man. I just, I learned this, and then I read that, and I got, and I just, I just, I just, I just, I just, I just. What if, what, what if you'd go after this? Like you went after football. What if you cherished this? What if this became so important to you? Because it's the instruction of the Jesus who's empowering you. What if the knowledge of the heart of God and what he wants to say to you is so absolutely significant in your life that you just have to know? What if you put this in a blender in the morning and just ate it and drank it? What if you slept with it with your head all night long, just get into my brain? What, what if your heart just... Oh. Now, folks, see, there's no problem in a setting like this, to make you feel guilty about reading the scriptures. Because you know you spend more time on TV than you do the book. So we can create all kinds of guilt, including myself. See, that's no problem, but that's not the purpose of this service. I don't want to create guilt on you. Well, yeah, I should have my devotions more faithfully. Uh, yeah, I should spend, instead of 15 minutes, it ought to be 20 at least. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's, that's not what we're after. That's not the purpose of this. Forget the guilt. Come on. Just, hey, just, just wipe it out of your mind. What I'd like for you to do is grasp 
the overwhelming awareness that the Jesus who lives inside of you, the living word, the living word wants to somehow communicate, desperately communicate to you through this word. And that this becomes the fundamental guiding point. So that when you have a problem, what am I going to do about my teenager? You would run to this book. Not to Dr. Phil. You would run to this book. And he would tell you. See, I'd like to create in you a taste, a I'd like to hear the voice of God. I used to tell congregations this last year, uh, I got to go to Israel. It's phenomenal. And uh, got involved in archaeological diggings. And we found uh, some, we found a CD of the voice of God from Mount Sinai. It's out there on the table, 100 bucks a shot. Uh, <laughs> you say, you're, you're crazy. Here's his voice. See, I'd like to create in you a, a, a feeling, a taste, a desire, a... Because oh. he wants to talk to you. Are you open to that? Would you, would you let him, would you, would you merge with him? Get, get it in the premise now. Would you merge with him? And in the merger with him, would you say, oh, talk to me. And would you come to this book and find this book coming alive? As you go over it and over it through the day. As you write a verse down on a card and you carry it with all day saying, God, what does this mean? How does this apply to my life? Jesus, again, God, I could kneel at the altar of prayer tonight and in overwhelming guilt. Because I've spent more time at my job. I've spent more time doing fun things. I've spent more hours watching TV. I've I spend more time eating. But God, I'm pushing that aside. And I'm saying to you, I, 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 want, I want to know you. And I want to hear your voice. And I'm opening myself to you. That you, the God who lives within me, I want to merge with you inwardly. And I know that when I merge with you inwardly, you are going to begin to open up this word and you're going to shape my life through what you have to say in this book. And this book won't be just a book. It won't be just literature. It won't be just ancient writings. It won't be even, it, it's not a rabbit's foot. I don't rub it for good luck. This is not God. This is, this is your lips parting. This is you, this is you communicating to me. This is, the, this is the intimacy, the pillow talk at night, the whispering in the ear, the shaping of my life. And I need that, God. I need that because I've got all kinds of stuff going on in my life that I don't have a clue of what to do. And yet you want to talk to me. And how are you going to talk to me, God? I've not been giving you time. I've not been concentrating. I've not been open to it. I've not been. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, heads are bowed. Alders open. Are you, are you open to this? Do you identify with this at all? Would you be willing to commit yourself to him shaping you? 
the living word, the written word, beginning to shape you inwardly and outwardly until your life takes on the fulfillment of the scriptures. I'm not appealing to you out of guilt. I'm appealing to you out of, oh, could this be the desire of your heart? So, hey, our altar's open just for a group of people who want to say, oh, I'm in, man. I want that. I'm committing myself. Hey, God, live within me and shape my life inwardly and outwardly by speaking to me through the scriptures. Just some moments, no pressure, just some moments of seeking. Whereas I stand here in the silence, what I'm aware of is oftentimes this represents our life with you. It's silent. Not because you haven't spoken, but Lord, too often we haven't opened your word. Lord, may we um, not pick up your word out of guilt or obligation, but Lord, may we pick up your word out of love. An awareness, Lord, that um, your divine spirit wants to fill us. And Lord, you want us to engage with your divine spirit within us and without us through your living word. Lord, I confess oftentimes in my life I've, um, I've not done as well as I need to do. I've not listened as nearly and closely as, as I should. And Lord, what I'm thankful for is that um, you haven't given up on me. Lord, you still speak and you still draw. And, and Lord, tonight we've just heard a beautiful, a beautiful appeal to us uh, to take more seriously uh, your written word that wants to communicate to that spirit that lives within us. So, Lord, may these not just be um, words that we hear. Lord, may we just not go through the motions of, of reading your word. But, Lord, may we allow it to shape us, engage us. May, may we not seek to find how to make the Word relevant to our lives, but, Lord, may we make our lives relevant to your Word. Now, Lord, um, as we go from this place, we're going to have an opportunity not just to think about these things, but to practice these things. And, and Lord, I pray that tonight all of us will take some time to once again pick up the book, Spend some time allowing you to speak through your word to us. Lord, may we um, not, not just respond in the emotion of a moment, Lord, but may we um, continue to seek your face, to seek your voice. Lord, I, I'm aware that we live in an age where it seems like life has no meaning. That there's no hope. And yet, Lord, your word is full of meaning and hope. It makes me wonder why uh, we don't spend more time in it. What temptation, what desires, what pull keeps us from engaging in your word and engaging with your spirit. So now, Lord, as we leave this place, we leave with, we leave with thankful hearts, aware that you have, um, you have given us all that we need, all that we need for salvation and life if we'll just engage with you. Uh, be with your people, Lord. Uh, bring us back tomorrow night, Lord. Thank you once again for a, a message from, from your word, uh, from your evangelist. And Lord, we're excited uh, about what you're going to continue to do in our church. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless, folks.